Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we thank you oh so much for the blessed opportunity you've given us to be able to gather in your house and to study your word. Help us now as we get into it to understand exactly what you want us to and apply it in the right way and encourage us to go out and share that with others as well. We truly thank you for all that as we pray in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. Continuing our Exploring the Word series in the book of 1 Corinthians, picking it back up in chapter 15. And we know this is a letter to the church at Corinth, written by Paul, to help them get established and to deal with some of the problems and concerns that they had when they had a lot of foreign and strange and pagan influences in that area. And it kind of overflowed into the church, so there was a lot of issues that started to develop within the church. But we get into some questions he's answering here concerning resurrection and how some believe that there was not going to be a resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I have preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep the, in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Now, when you see according to the Scriptures here, he's speaking of as fulfilled in the prophecies, because it was prophesied and fulfilled. And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And that he was seen of Cephas, otherwise known as Peter, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. And that's an amazing group of witnesses there, over 500 at one of the times that he appeared to them. We don't have a lot of details about that 40 days that he appeared to those or of the things that he spoke of directly. Some recorded, yes, but not many. But we also see in his apostles, as they taught, as the wisdom that was given to them, the things, the messages that he had them to deliver. He had finished his work and then he's passing on the opportunity to work to the apostles, to the disciples, to all of us actually. And here he was seen of over 500 brethren at once, as it continues, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. Fallen asleep, talking about a born-again Christian dying, physical death, but never dies spiritually. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. Because we know that he was able to see the Lord when he was on the road to Damascus, on his way to Damascus to, to hunt down and take captive more Christians to take back to Jerusalem to be horribly treated and even killed. And on that road to Damascus, the Lord appeared to him and he was converted, become the apostle to the Gentiles, the one to be sent out specifically to address the Gentiles. Others as well, yes, but primarily to focus on the Gentiles. Verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I 
persecuted the church of God. Here he's humbly proclaiming himself that the opportunity the Lord had given him was by grace. By grace he was allowed to become an apostle. Was it that he qualified ahead of time or earned his way to that? No, it was all given to him by grace. Verse 10, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. For I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. There again, giving the Lord all the credit for what he has achieved. He says, not with me, wasn't me, wasn't my power, wasn't my might, wasn't my, not even his will. Because he, his will was to go after the Christians and bring them back and kill them. But he was totally converted, changed, became a new creature in Christ. And the grace that was poured upon him. And then he was obedient to that. He submitted to that. And then was able to do the, the many works that they had already seen done. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach and so ye believed. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Like all the apostles were preaching and all these witnesses were proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, well, then how do you all say that he didn't rise? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. The word vain here meaning fleeting away, meaning worthless. It says, Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are, all, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. The first fruits, what he's speaking of here is Jesus Christ became the first one to raise from the dead and be given that glorified existence and to ascend to the Father. We know that there were other people that the Lord raised from the dead, Lazarus being one of the most famous of them, but they died a normal human death after that. They raised into this mortal body and lived a little longer, but then died a regular physical death. But Jesus Christ raised from that grave with a glorified body, and he ascended to the Father, sits on the right hand of the Father, and given us the example of what we have to look forward to as being the next fruits. He was the first fruit, and we are going to be the next. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Here you're getting into the history. Death came upon mankind because of the sins of Adam and Eve. Salvation came upon mankind because of the, the grace and the mercy and the sacrifice and the finished work of Jesus Christ. Identifying Him as mankind because He came down and became a man for us. 
Verse 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. Afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. At his coming. When he comes to rapture everyone up, when we, he comes to give us that glorified body, that's when we will all have that kind of resurrection that he's speaking of here. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead, if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? Verse 29 is a very interesting verse, very misunderstood. A lot of theology thrown into this, a lot of speculation, a lot of guesswork. And what is he talking about? Being baptized for the dead. We have groups that even today baptize folks for those that have already passed away, physical dead that were Christians but didn't get a chance to be baptized, or even whether they were Christians or not, because they believe that if they get baptized, then they get salvation. This false teaching is, is amongst a very prominent group in the, in the world that they have a constant baptismal service. Day and night they have people being baptized. They have a system where they have a a list of names. When someone's born, when someone dies, they keep track of everybody's name that they can come up with. And when someone passes away, if they're not acknowledged as being in their group or baptized by them, then they go and they list these names and then a person gets baptized by that name. Over and over and over they they get baptized by various names over and over and over, just trying to make sure that everybody gets baptized so everybody gets saved is what they believe. And they get that belief from this one small verse here, being baptized from for the dead. But it's a misunderstanding. Being baptized for the dead, most prominent or most logical belief of what this verse means is those that are dead spiritually that witness a baptism. Because when we are baptized, we are baptized as a public confession to those around us, primarily to those that are lost. Seeing that we have become Christians, that's our first act of testifying to the world that we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And you go down into that water. You go down totally submerged like you're going into the grave. And you're rising again from the dead 
<clears throat> as you're coming up out of that water. New life. So you're baptized for the dead that are out there. That's the most prominent belief in this. Another one is that there was actually a, a procedure being done in that area that was a pagan origin that the Corinth, Corinthians people had attached to that was pagan rituals concerning dead people, and they had carried that over into the church. That's one of the beliefs. So you got, like I said, there's multiples on various ways that this has been interpreted. And you have also a belief that people were being baptized, and then immediately after they were being baptized, there were people that was watching to see who was being baptized, and then they were killed, the martyrs. And then other people would come in and be baptized to take their place in the church, replacement of the congregation, because so many had been martyred after being baptized. So if you came in to be baptized after someone else had been baptized and martyred, then you were being baptized for that dead person's position in the church. So you fill in a space. And all this you can go back and pretend, what is he talking about? It started out about talking about the belief of resurrection or not. So resurrection from the dead. So there's a lot, like I said, a lot of confusion, a lot of misunderstanding on what this verse means. But we know the scriptures tell us that there is no private interpretation, which means you cannot take any individual verse and build an entire belief system on that verse because the Bible works together in harmony. You've got to find, okay, what else backs this up, a practice of being baptized for somebody who is dead and thinking that you're giving them that baptism? There's nothing else in the Word of God that speaks of such a thing. So it's more logical that it is speaking of those that are either spiritually dead and have been born again yet, that you are a witness to them, or that you are a replacement for those that were baptized and then martyred, that you're coming in to fill that space in the church. All right, continuing on, verse 30. And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? Every hour, I protest by... Your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantageth it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If the dead do not rise, if we do not have a glorified body, if we do not have everlasting life ahead of us, then why bother doing anything, he's saying? Just party and drop dead because this world's temporary and it's all over with. So just forget it. That's what he's saying. You, you don't have any kind of hope of any future if there is no resurrection. Be not deceived. Evil communication corrupt good manners. That evil communication is the deceitfulness that had been coming in to the church at Corinth. The, the lies, the false teaching, the Antichrist itself. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. When you have those that come in and try to infiltrate a group and don't even know God, but want to infiltrate because they see some kind of appeal, see some kind of attraction in that group, and then they bring in some false teaching. That's that evil communication. And 
they can really stir up some trouble, like leavening in the bread they talk about. But some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? They get into some of these questions. They get into, well, give me some details. What kind of body? Well, if they were one of the ones that saw Jesus Christ after he rose from the dead, then they would know that answer. If they were one of the ones that were right there with him and were able to touch him and have a meal with him, then they would have known that and see the ability that he had and has, then they would have not had to ask that question. But they were not there. These people that come in that do not know God, then they start bringing up these questions to try to, to create doubt in the mind of the believers. Is thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bear grain, it may chance of wheat or of some other grain. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Habit, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. We come in this world originally a natural, physical being, and then we progress up to and transfigured into a spiritual being. When we are quickened, when we are brought back to life, by being born again, we are quickened and brought to life spiritually. Reason afterward, that which is spiritual. So first we come into this world just a physical because we come into this world spiritually dead. When we get saved, we become spiritually alive, quickened, brought back to life. And we are looking forward to a glorified body, a body that is not corruptible, a body that is immortal. The first man is of the earth, earthly. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthly, so are they also that are earthly. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. We are going to be like Jesus Christ. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doeth corruption inherit incorruption. This mortal body that we have cannot go into eternity in this condition, in this physical existence, in this corruptible body, this body that can rot and decay and wither away, this body that can sin, is not going to be the kind of body that we're going to have for eternity. We are going to be like Jesus Christ. 
We don't know exactly what Jesus Christ is going to be like, but we know that we are going to be like him. As it says over in 1 John, the small epistle of 1 John, in chapter 3, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We are going to be like Jesus Christ. Whatever form that he chooses to have for eternity, he's going to allow us to have that same kind of form. Is it going to be exactly like it was when he appeared to the disciples after his resurrection? We don't know for sure. It may be. It may be different. It may be even beyond, even better than that. Whatever it is, we are going to be able to be like him. So you can imagine the most glorious, wondrous existence, and it's going to be even more than what we could imagine. And here he's told, now he's starting teaching about us receiving that glorified body. Now the time that he's speaking of here is also known as the time of the rapture. That we have over in First Thessalonians chapter four, but this event is going to happen so quickly, and this event is going to take place with the Lord coming, but not all the way down and touching the earth. The next coming of the Lord is coming to give us this glorified body that He's speaking of here and being raptured up. The glorious appearance of the Lord is going to be when he comes at the end of the tribulation time to establish the millennial kingdom. That's when he'll come all the way down and touch ground on this earth. But the next time that we are able to see the appearing of Jesus Christ is only going to be seen by the born-again Christians, and that is going to be coming in the clouds and be there and rapture us up to him. And at that moment, we have what's unfolding right here next. Let's back, back up to verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That means stay physically dead as a Christian. But we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed." For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, but the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's what we have to look forward to. That receiving of that glorified body, that is far beyond our comprehension, far beyond what we can understand and that event and the event that is recorded over in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4 in verse 13 go hand in hand where it reads, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. 
For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So he's referring again to the resurrection that he's talking about over in Corinthians. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep or proceed before. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So we see how 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 58 go hand in hand with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Those two mesh. Those two are one event. And as he referred to there, in the clouds. So he's not coming all the way down to the ground when he's going to raise everybody from the dead and give them their glorified body. He's going to be in the clouds. And he's talking about bringing them, those that are dead, with him. All those that have passed away prior to this event that are in heaven now, that are in paradise, he will bring those spirits and souls with him and then they will receive a glorified body at that time. And then all those that are alive at that very event, then they will receive their glorified body. But all this is going to happen, as it says, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. That quick. I mean, quicker than you can blink your eye, this event is going to take place. It's going to be such a chaotic event around the world because having that many millions and millions of people instantly disappear... It's going to be total chaos. There'll be planes crashing, trains crashing, automobiles crashing. I mean, things blowing up and destruction all over the planet because of those people instantly being taken away. A lot of speculation, a lot of guesses, a lot of accusations will go on, which is going to create chaos to the point where there'll be a massive war. And that's the beginning of the Battle of Gog and Magog that we read about. And at the end of that Battle of Gog and Magog, God ends that battle with a great hailstone storm. And there'll be an Antichrist rise up and take credit, saying that he's the one that stopped that. And he'll be lifted up as a world leader and to sign a treaty with Jerusalem, with Israel. And the signing of that treaty with Israel will initiate the seven-year clock of the tribulation time. And then at the end of the tribulation time, the Lord comes down all the way to the to the earth, and establishes the millennial kingdom after wiping out all the ungodly and casting Satan into the pit for a thousand years. And and it will rule and reign with Jesus Christ for a thousand years. And at the end of that, there'll be another big uprise of false teaching and false believers and come up against the believers. The Lord will wipe them out with fire from heaven. He's going to destroy everything in physical existence. Earth, all the cosmos, everything wiped out, completely gone. Be a new heaven, a new earth. There'll be a great white throne judgment where everybody that hadn't been judged will be able to get a judgment. And then we'll be able to go into that new earth, that new heaven, and spend eternity with the Lord. But all those that did not trust in the Lord will be cast into that lake of fire. And... As the Lord says, there'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Because it says there in 
Revelation chapter 21, in verse 8, But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake of, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So you have a choice. Accept Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior or wind up in that lake of fire for eternity. That's all the time we have for right now. Let's go ahead and uh, pray. We'll get back into it next time and we'll see how the church at Corneth deals with some more issues. Let's pray. Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we thank You oh so much for Your Word. There's so much in here. We could study it a thousand lifetimes over and still only be scratching the surface of the wisdom that You can give us. And please do give us that wisdom that we need to be able to do the work You have in store for us to do. Give us that motivation and that boldness to step up and up and do it no matter what kind of persecution we may be facing. Thank You oh so much as we pray in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. Thank you all.